0: Hi, I'm Emory Parker, Interactive Editor with The Post and Career, here each week to discuss the forces shaping the Palmetto State and provide the context that gives it meaning. This is Understand South Carolina. I'm here with my co-host, Brooks Brunson. Hello. And Kelly Poe. Hi. From The Post and Career's web team, as well as environmental reporter, Chloe Johnson. Hi, guys. To discuss a hot topic right now, plastic bag bans in South Carolina. So, Brooks, you want to go ahead and set the scene here a little bit? Yeah, so this is actually
1: something I know very little about. I'm going to assume there might be a few listeners out there that may not know much as either. Chloe, from my understanding, uh, at least eight coastal cities have banned plastic bags within the last year or so. Is that correct?
2: So there's several coastal cities, that's where it started, that have been banning single-use plastic bags. So the kind you might get if you go to the grocery store. Um, the very first one was very close to us in Charleston. It was Isle of Palms, and they actually did it in 2015. And they were pretty far ahead of everyone else. But it has definitely started along the coast, um, and it's just now starting to creep inland a little bit.
1: And so when you say single-use plastic bags, is that why why I say single-use?
2: Yeah, well, so a lot of the impetus behind the bands – And a lot of why it started on the coast is because um, those little bags you get in the grocery store, they're very thin, they're very light. They can kind of take off in the air and end up as litter very easily. Um, And people in coastal communities in South Carolina have just been very attuned to plastic trash in our waterways and on the beach and things like that. All of these ordinances are different a little bit. Each one's a bit unique. And so, for example, in Beaufort County, you can provide a bag in like a retail store that's made of plastic. It's supposed to be reusable. So it's supposed to be durable enough that you could potentially wash it and use it again. It's a little controversial. Do they
1: charge extra for those kind of bags?
2: Not to my knowledge, no. That seems really subjective to me to say – like what is a what is washable enough? right. Yeah, and that that's a point that comes up sometimes as people discuss these bans, right? So I sometimes reuse plastic bags I get at the grocery store. That's yeah, not say, uncommon. Do, yeah, yeah, right. A lot of people do that. Um it you know, each ordinance is written differently. um so it kind of depends. and that that's been a point of contention a little bit in Beaufort County um, that some people are arguing, well, you're not really getting rid of this plastic problem. Because it's it's still a plastic product that's out there, and so it, it's a it's a fine line, I guess. Um, and not everyone has that. Most most of the bands are no single use plastic. So a bag you'd get in a grocery store, a retail store, um, something you use to carry your takeout meal home.
1: You were kind of getting at some of this, but like, what have been kind of the controversies in these bands? And
2: well, so. Uh, Going back to the example of Isle of Palms, um, the passage there wasn't that difficult because it's a small community. Everyone is very, you know, if you move to the beach, you want to be outside all the time, right? So everyone's kind of environmentally minded and there aren't a ton of big box stores in Isle of Palms, right? right? They don't have a Walmart. They don't have a bunch of massive grocery stores to deal with. So they don't have those business interests to deal with. Um, Another reason it's been popular along the coast is many of these communities, um one of the one of the groups that advocates for these bag bans are actually volunteer turtle groups because sea turtles eat jellyfish and right now the operating theory is that bags in the ocean look like jellyfish. Um so the South Carolina Aquarium right here in Charleston has a medical center for turtles and they'll frequently find a dead turtle do an autopsy and find plastic in its stomach. Um so that's sort of the pro side, right? Um, The, the, the opposing side is the plastics industry itself, which is very powerful and has lobbied very hard in many other places and here against these bans. Um, And also our state convenience store association really does not like this because um, they want to serve their customers what they want, and they want to be able to provide those bags in their stores. That's the product, their customers.
1: yeah, buy. I mean, that's was kind of my next question is like, what is the economic impact?
2: Yeah. so what um the American Progressive Bag Alliance will tell you, that's the <laughs> lobbying group um, that's active all around the country, is that a typical grocery store will pay fifty thousand more dollars in a year if they have to eliminate plastic. So paper is more expensive. Um, They'll also give other reasons why you should not switch to only paper. Um, One of them being that producing paper bags requires a lot of water, more water than producing a plastic bag, and also uh, is more carbon intensive.
0: One of the things that I I was talking to Brooks and Kelly about um, going into this is like, I really feel like when I was growing up, I like I wh- I basically I feel like I grew up feeling like plastic was better for the environment for some reason. Is is that why? Is
2: probably yeah. <laughs> that would be my guess. You know, it's it's a it's a petroleum byproduct, yeah. right? So it is kind of attached to fossil fuels in that way. Um, you know, deforestation isn't great, right? Mm. Trees suck in carbon. So anytime we can avoid deforestation writ large, that's kind of a good thing. But um the The tricky flip side to that is that, of course, paper bags are biodegradable. They will, you know, essentially completely dissolve into organic matter in the environment. And plastic does not do that. I think the scientific community is really only now reckoning with how widespread the plastic problem is because, these bags take a very long time to break down, and then even then they'll turn into these tiny particles. And they've been found at every level of the food chain, in the ocean, in rivers, in drinking water, in the Mariana Trench, which is the deepest part of the ocean. Um, a recent study just found that like small organisms there have ingested pieces of plastic. So That's the thing about plastic is that even if it sort of disappears to the naked eye, it's still there. And the human health consequences of that are totally unclear at this point. But what is very clear is that plastic is everywhere.
3: So we've talked a lot about like Isle of Palms and individual municipalities. That seems to be, at least in South Carolina, where we're seeing this, that seems to be the trend. Um, How does the the South Carolina Statehouse feel about that?
2: (laughs) That's a complicated question. So... Last year, there was a bill championed by the American Progressive Bag Alliance um, and some other interests that would create a state preemption. And this is something that already exists in 10 other states around the country. So basically, it would stop individual cities from creating rules relating to bags or, frankly, any other type of container, things made of cardboard, glass, metal. You can't tax it. You can't ban it. It's extremely broad. And this was introduced last year in the State House. And I think the a lot of the energy, not just on this item, but on multiple items, just got sucked up um, by sort of the VC summer issue we've been having here in South Carolina.
3: There seems to be some like inherent conflict in that. Environmental issues we typically associate with the Democratic Party, but home rule is also something we typically associate with the Republican Party and if this would take away the rights of individual governments to make, decisions about what they want to do?
2: It's a big home rule question, right? Um, Here in South Carolina, that's sort of a traditionally conservative idea, self-determination that, you know, communities can decide things for themselves. Um, But when people think about South Carolina and environmentalism specifically, I would encourage them not to necessarily think in terms of party, but think in terms of geography. So you're always going to have a much stronger environmental streak along the coast and there's several republican lawmakers along the coast who, you know, aren't necessarily thrilled about this. So this summer,
3: we around Charleston might have noticed that our straws changed. We got a lot of cardboard straws. And it is my personal opinion that those do not work as well as plastic.
1: You I get can, so upset. It just like <laughs> falls apart because I'm a really slow drinker. So like it just always just disintegrates like straight up into my iced coffee.
3: Right. I mean, you can disagree on like whether or not that's a, a price worth paying. Um, but I hope we can all agree that they're just inferior straws. I mean,
0: <laughs> um, yeah, they really are. Yep.
3: And there was sort of like a viral sensation this summer. They said Americans use 500,000 straws a day, plastic straws a day. 500 million, I'm sorry. Americans use 500 million straws a day, and so that this was this wasn't a government action. And a lot of restaurants would voluntarily switch out the straws as part of this push. Although in some, I believe in some municipalities, um, single-use straws are also largely banned. I'm not sure about that.
2: Some, yeah, some of these rules are like broadly, uh, straws and packages that are not biodegradable are banned. Um, some of them are are much narrower, but there are definitely a few that include uh, plastic straws.
3: Right. So I bring that up because it was um, later revealed that uh, that 500 million number really came from nowhere. It came from something a child actually made up. And we know that plastic is everywhere. But do we know how much like this, this plastic bag ban like could actually help? Is it, pardon my pun, A straw man?
2: Wait wait a pun, Kelly. Um, I mean, it's, you know, the numbers in a lot of these cases are super fast and loose. So as an example, I used to live in Washington, D.C., which doesn't have an outright ban on bags. It has a five cent tax that applies to all disposable bags, paper, plastic. And um, this was implemented in part to fund a uh, effort to clean up one of the rivers in Washington, the Anacostia River. Um, And at the time, it was implemented several years ago now. Um, The government in D.C. was, you know, claimed in the first year that bag consumption had fallen, you know, like tenfold, basically, as a result of this. And when I lived there, people were very um, conscientious about using reusable bags, cloth bags, when they went to stores. Um, But the Washington Post did a pretty good piece in 2015 sort of examining a lot of the claims made by the D.C. government. Um, And it found that the statistics they were spouting were just absolutely, it was very shoddy guesswork, essentially. So uh, there aren't a lot of great statistics on how much these things decrease usage. Obviously, if a plastic bag's not an option, it's gone. It's off the table. Uh, taxes, I think, are a little less clear. But you know, generally, in the policy world, we know that a tax disincentivizes behavior. If you're going to get taxed to do something, you suddenly don't want to do it as much maybe as you did before.
0: Sorry, that reminds me, Kelly, when you're talking about the straw thing, one of the other like really interesting things that I think came out of that entire discussion is that Actually, it it turned out to be like kind of this accessibility and disability rights issue where actually there are a lot of people that rely on straws. And like, you know, to us, it's inconvenient that the cardboard straws suck. But if you actually like rely on a straw, that is that really sucks.
3: I have an uncle who can't drink without straws. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I'm kind of curious. Have there been like, is there any potential here for like unintended consequences like H- have we seen anything like that or, or any pushback in, in that realm? Like,
2: Yeah, that's a hard question to answer. The straw example is the strongest one, right? That could mm-hmm. be the difference between your ability to go out and enjoy yourself in a restaurant and not. Um, that's a pretty stark example. In terms of the bags themselves... You know, there's a plastic industry that employs people, and I'm sure they don't love it when one of their products is outright banned. That's a consequence. Um, When the city of Charleston was considering its plastic ban, um, two councilmen voted against it uh, from lower-income neighborhoods, and they were arguing, you know, this is a free product that our constituents use, right? It's valuable to them. So there's that to consider. Um, It's not super clear right now in some places, it's not just a ban at the point of sale. So like a ban at a convenience store from giving you a bag, it's a ban of possession of a bag on the beach, which is very different, right? Um, And I've reported on a lot of beach communities. And so in the places where that exists, it's probably going to go the wayside of all these other beach rules all these places have, where you can't bring glass on the beach, and you can't drink on the beach. And they're just so hard to enforce so
3: when you were talking about like what they do in DC there's the tax california they don't have an outright or they they have an outright ban on single use plastic bags but they take it even further and say that there's a tax on or you have to charge for yeah other single use bags yeah. including like paper Again, all about that disincentivizing needing a bag in the first place. I guess my point is is that we're seeing a lot of different approaches in different parts of the the country to this same question. Do we have evidence that any of it is working better than any other approach?
2: That's a great question. I think um, the tax is an interesting idea because for the people that really feel they want those products, they still have access to them. And then, like I said, in D.C., it raised money for a cleanup fund for a river, right? And that's a lot of the impetus um, behind these policies. It kind of depends on what your goal is. If it's just about trash in the waterway, um, you might, as a lawmaker, feel good about a ban. If it's about reducing demand in the first place for all of these things that we just dispose of so quickly, then a broader tax might make more sense. So it kind of depends on what your goals are. So
0: we've talked, I mean, we've talked obviously through a couple of uh, examples um, and you were mentioning the sort of the outcomes that they found in D.C. Can you just sort of summarize like what what is what is the big picture look like? I mean, you mentioned that we don't really have great statistics, but can we say that these bans are like effective or not effective? Is it too early to say?
2: That's so challenging. I mean, I think in South Carolina, it's definitely too early to say, because a lot of the places that enact these bans have a lag time on when they're actually enacted, um, so that stores that have already bought an inventory of plastic bags can run through them and prepare themselves for the change. So I think it's going to take a little more time in South Carolina to really tell. I know that folks like the people who work at the Horry County Recycling Center are you know, happy every time one of these bans happens because it's just yet another way that that bags are kind of a menace. Um, they'll, like, wind themselves. People think you can recycle a, a grocery bag, a plastic grocery bag, in the recycling system, and you can't. Yeah. Um, and so they'll wind themselves around all the machinery they have there to sort, you know, larger plastics from cardboard and whatever, and every day they have to shut down for 30 minutes and, like, pick out every bag in the machinery in Oregon County. Um, So I know if they're seeing smaller volumes of bags in the recycling stream, they're going to be happy about that. Um, I don't know that anyone is really doing a super comprehensive survey of just the litter that's out there right now. But the reality is these things are patchwork, right? Your, Your neighbor next door might not have the band that you have. And these things travel in the wind and float through streams, and and we're still going to see some amount of litter
3: in the coastal communities where these bags have been really popular in South Carolina. Is the primary goal like
2: keeping bags out of waterways? Absolutely, yes. That's the primary goal, and protecting wildlife as well. Like,
1: I did want to share something that I thought about when we were talking about the state house.
2: Um, it just reminded me of
1: this story uh, that really blew up on our website. Um, it's from a year ago. It's from January 2017. But this lawmaker, um, who was trying to pass, you know, one of those bills that bans plastic, he went on a little bit of a rampage. And I, th- I this is just so South Carolina. I just felt like I had to share. And uh, Representative Eric Bettingfield, and he said, "My question would just be simply, what's next after these plastic bags? Is it paper McDonald's cups? Is it styrofoam cups from the barbecue joint down the street? Is it styrofoam to-go boxes? Is it guns? What are we
0: gonna ban next?" <laughs>
1: So, uh, I, I'm not, you know, I don't know if he actually has a Southern accent or
2: if I actually did a decent
1: Southern accent just now, but I felt like I had to put that in there. Anyway. Yeah,
2: he's representative, former representative of Beddingfield has a twang for sure. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, the interesting thing about the bill that's languishing in our state house right now is that it's a model bill um, that's been floated by this conservative legislative group called ALEC. And it's pretty much the same bill that's been enacted in these 10 other states, right? Um, and I think that is the fear that when you let these crazy cities sort of do what they want and make their own rules, you know, what are they going to do next? Are they going to ban guns? I think that's that's the extreme of that argument. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but that's that's a good part of, of the tension going on.
3: Aren't a lot of these mayors Republican? Like, isn't Folly Beach? I don't know if... He was. Well, in... yeah, but
0: I think what Chloe was getting at earlier is you got to remember, like, low country Republican right. is different, different than upstate Republican, different it's, than Midlands Republican. It's wildly yeah. different.
3: Well, yeah, absolutely. I'm just assuming that, like, someone like the Mount, mayor of Mount Pleasant is not going to like,
2: guys, let's ban guns. Like... Right. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> no. I,
0: I think that's probably a safe assumption.
2: The other thing, though, is that a lot of these communities don't have partisan elections which just really changes the whole tenor of how you talk about things. If you don't have to go through a GOP primary, you know, you can vote Republican, right? But then you are kind of freed up to just worry about what is the issue in front of me in my town? Um, you know, and and the mayor of Folly Beach is a great example. He endorsed a Democrat for um, his congressional district, right, very recently. That And that had to do with another environmental issue, which was oil drilling, something else that you know the governor now opposes, and that started on the coast. So it's a very similar trajectory, and that's part of why there's this crazy backlash to the plastic bans, because I think people have already observed the power of the coast um, in arguing for that environmental protection and what it can lead to. Bedingfield actually introduced that bill, I think, even before the first ban was passed, Um, and like, no one paid any attention to it. They were like, why do we need this? And then suddenly like five little beach towns decided to do this. And I was like, Oh, we got to pay attention, you know? So Brooks, do you feel like
3: you better understand South Carolina?
1: I do. I mean, I didn't realize all of these factors that kind of play into this story. Um, Chloe, you know, so many things. (laughs) Thank you, Brooks. (laughs) I feel like Chloe understands South Carolina. (laughs) I'm still not sure myself.
3: (laughs)
0: Yeah, um Emory, do you feel like you better understand South Carolina? I do. I but I got I feel like a plastic bag blowing in the wind. <laughs> if, if I'm being honest.
1: That is I feel like that is pure devastation.
2: <laughs> I'm getting hardcore forest gump vibes right now.
1: So, Kelly, do you better understand South Carolina?
3: I do. I definitely am going to be thinking a lot about that coastal versus inland
2: divide. Keep an eye on it. It's an interesting thing, and it pops up in a lot of different places. This is not the only example.
0: Stay tuned. Maybe maybe a future episode about that.
2: Well, thank you so much, Chloe. Uh, where can people follow you online? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at underscore ChloeAJ. My phone number's on all my stories, too, so if you want to ask me a question or shout at me about something I wrote, you can give me a call. HostandCourier.com for that. Yes.
3: <laughs>
1: Subscribe. <laughs>
0: All right, and that's all. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier in Charleston. Our theme song is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music by searching for Billy, that's with an IE, Fountain, on Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postandcourier.com, or, of course, you can tweet at us with any questions or comments. And if you're a fan of the show, please take a second to like us and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast Store. See y'all later.